Our scripture reading for today is Revelation uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read the first half, basically, of verse 1. We're not going to read the entire verse, um, just the first part of verse 1. Revelation 1. 1a, and that's what a means, uh, the first part of the verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let's pray and, and dive into God's word for us today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that uh, you have awakened us uh, this morning and gathered us here uh, in, in your congregation to, to hear your word and to receive from you uh, what you want to speak uh, to us. And I pray, Lord, wherever we may be uh, coming from, uh, that your truth will reach us and speak to us not just to our intellect, but to our hearts and reveal to us how your truth and your good news truly meets our deepest desires and needs. So we ask for your, your wisdom and your spirit to, to lead us and teach us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're uh, starting a new series, having finished the, the last one, and we're starting this new series in the book of Revelation. It's a book that I've been wanting to... Um, go through with you all for some time um, for various reasons. Uh, for one, it's a book of the Bible, and that's, that's a pretty good reason to go through it because it's in there, and we should learn uh, what it teaches us. Um, and it touches on one particular branch of theology that we haven't always touched on, and that's the branch of theology called eschat- eschatology, uh, concerning things concerning the last things. Um, we've, we've studied, we've looked at uh, topics and studied passages that deal with systematic theology, practical theology, why we do what we do, and things like that. Eschatology is something we haven't really uh, delved into, and, and I would love to do that with you. That, um, that's something that's needed, this balance of very, all the things that Scripture teaches us so that we have a balanced diet and, and therefore uh, something spiritually healthy. Another reason it's important for us to go through Revelation is because it, it just happens to be one of those most neglected books of the Bible. Um, and why is that the case? Well, for one, it, it really is confusing, isn't it? Right? All these um, complex and very confusing images, Im- imageries and, and symbols um, that make it very difficult for us to draw any immediate applications to our lives. Right? Uh, what is this lady writing this dragon have anything to do with my day-to-day life. Um, that's, that, that's one reason. Here's the flip side of that. The flip side of that is there are people who actually think they know everything about this book um, and, and will love to tell you about how they have unlocked all the secrets of all the symbols and imageries in this book. And they'll love to tell you about how, oh, this thing here symbolizes this military conflict over here. Uh, this figure in, in Revelation represents this political candidate over here. Um, this number represents this date, and so uh, you know, uh, the end is near, and we know that because of this number. And they would just love to tell you all these things that they've unearthed uh, through the book of Revelation. And then for the average 
Bible-believing Christian, when you hear that, you, you're thinking, that sounds kind of nutty. And uh, if that's what reading the book of Revelation does to you, I'd rather stay away from it entirely, right? So, so you have this twofold problem, right? It's either too confusing for some, or to some it's too clear, uh, too confident in talking about it. And either way, it kind of turns us off to it. What I want to show you instead, as we go through this book, is uh, both approaches are wrong. And there is a thoughtful way to approach this book as intended by the author that won't lead us to make these extravagant claims about, you know, this is what that means, or this military conflict or historical event is what's meant by uh, this thing here. Um, but we can approach it carefully if we read this in context. Just as, you know, um, anything in the Bible can be taken out of context if you don't approach it carefully. Uh, if you look at the sacrificial offerings in the Old Testament, that's often taken out of context, and, 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 and the question is asked, why don't, people, why don't people do that anymore? Well, because Christ is the, is the ultimate sacrificial offering offered on the cross that puts an end to all the sacrificial offering in the Old Testament, and therefore it's consistent with Scripture uh, to, to no longer uh, practice that. Um, and in the same way, there's a way to approach the book of Revelation in, in, in its context that helps us understand and apply this appropriately. So this is going to be an expositional series, and that means we're going to go through the whole book, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, uh, and we'll be taking some breaks. We're not going to be talking about the end time on Christmas Sunday uh, and things like that, um, but, but this is going to be the book that we come back to most frequently until we finish it, and I have no idea how, when that will be, uh, I'm not that great of a planner, um, but this will probably take a while, and hopefully we'll finish it before Jesus actually returns. <laughs> um, so for today, I'm going to give you a few principles that we can draw from this first verse of the passage that I hope you hold on to and keep in mind as we go through the entire book. And uh, the reason is because in this first verse, there is a phrase that really helps us um, really unlock or unpack really a lot, much of the, the book of Revelation, if not all of it. And the phrase is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. That is key to understanding the rest of the book of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And our uh, outline today is going to be drawn from that phrase. Uh, I'm going to make three points out of that phrase. Uh, first point is the word of. Okay. The revelation of Jesus Christ, what that means of. Uh, second point will be about the word revelation. What does that mean? And the third point will be about the person in this phrase, and that is Jesus Christ. Okay? Of revelation, Jesus Christ. These three points, all right? So, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? What that basically means is, uh, this is not just a revelation about Jesus it is a revelation of him, meaning it, it stems from him. Uh, it's a revelation about him and from him. He is both what is revealed and the one revealing. Okay? Um, and because this book is so thoroughly of him, it's all his, it's about him, it's of him, we have to therefore approach this book on his terms. On his terms. Um, that means he has to be the one setting the proper boundaries for us and 
and the context for us in order to properly understand this. Why? Because it's his. Okay? So think about how you might you know, go about showing a little child how to put puzzle pieces together for the very first time. Okay? You would go through a few um, instructions first, right? a few guidelines. Um, you show them, for example, the big picture. Right? Here's the picture in front of the box, and this is what you're trying to create with these pieces. And if they really need help, you'll start, start them off by just helping them with the edges first, right? the corner pieces and the edges so that the proper boundaries are set and they know every other piece has to fall within those boundaries. If they find some other picture somewhere else that they think this piece of puzzle would fit into, eh, <laughs> wrong, uh, you're doing it wrong, stay within this boundary, right? And I think I learned this the hard way where um, we, we had more than one box of puzzles open for our kids. And so uh, our youngest especially would, you know, very rationally for her age, take one piece of the puzzle from this box and another piece from another box and go, you know, they seem like they would fit and she would just try to jam it in there. And that's, of course, my fault, right, <laughs> for, for allowing that to happen. Um, but that would create a totally different picture, not intended by the creator of the puzzles, right? So in the same way, we have to understand this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning he has to set the boundaries for us. And he has to tell us what the big picture we're trying to create here um, is. Um, what sort of boundaries has he set for us? Well, the, the boundary he sets for us is scripture itself. And the big picture that he, he draws out for us is also himself. Uh, in Revelation, I mean, not Revelation, in Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus says, and beginning with Moses, or Luke says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, all the prophets and all the scriptures, Jesus interpreted to his disciples things concerning himself. So he's doing the same thing there. He's saying, here are the boundaries. It's all of scripture, right? Interpret the truth according to these boundaries. And what are you going to get at the end? The big picture? Jesus. Right? Things concerning himself. Now, if all of scripture testifies concerning Jesus, does that include revelation? Absolutely. Okay. And if, he's, if Jesus has set the scripture as the boundaries for putting this puzzle together, this very complex puzzle together, should revelation fall within the same boundaries? Absolutely. Okay. So this is the only way we're going to really understand revelation for what it says, is if we understand it through scripture, through the lens of scripture, within the boundaries of scripture, and pursue Jesus as the big picture. Okay. So along those lines, um, let me give you a few examples of what I mean by scriptural boundaries, because that can sound pretty abstract, right? Before we dive into this book. One thing that we're going to have to be pretty diligent about and patient in learning uh, is the way biblical authors use certain literary devices and genres that are, that's very different from the way we modern people use literary devices and genres. Um, so for example, the way we use you know, a diction like the word literal it's very different from what biblical understanding of literal or true fulfillment of something is. Uh, when we use the word literal and we say that's, that's literally true, we mean usually a direct like one-to-one -one correlation. 
between two things, right? Uh, and usually in the physical sense, okay? Um, so if I said it's literally raining cats and dogs, then, then we better see some cats and dogs out there, right? <laughs> so when the Bible says something like, Jesus is the Lamb of God, and the Bible consider that to be, considers that to be literally true, it doesn't mean that Jesus is physically the Lamb of God, right? Physically, he's not a lamb. He's not all fluffy and cuddly, right? Um, although that might be nice. <laughs> he's, he's a divine son of man, right? Yet, at the same time, when, when John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's saying that's literally the Lamb of God. So Jesus literally fulfills the Lamb of God, but not physically so. Spiritually, he does, right? So in Scripture, literal fulfillment doesn't always mean there's a physical representation of that fulfillment, but a spiritual representation of that fulfillment, okay? Here's another example. Um, God promises to rebuild the temple in Ezekiel chapter 40. That's in the Old Testament. How is that promise ultimately fulfilled in the New Testament when, in fact, in AD 70, the physical was uh, destroyed, Right, so if there's no physical temple, how is how is this going to be fulfilled? First uh, Peter two five, Peter says it is fulfilled through God's people, constructed as a spiritual house made of living stones. That's the temple, rebuilt. Paul says this, First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside you? Right, you are literally the temple of God according to the Bible, and yet physically you're not right made of bricks of course right you are the spiritual fulfillment of that prophecy a spiritual fulfillment that is also literal but not physical okay there are going to be things in the book of revelation that you're going to be tempted to attach physical things to okay and people have done that plenty of times um we have to resist that temptation. Why? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not of 21st century American mind. Um, the, the, the swarm of locusts that you read about in the book of Revelation is probably not a battalion of helicopters flying in a war zone, as some people have thought it to mean. Why? Because that's, that's a revelation of 21st century American mind, not the revelation of Jesus Christ operating within his boundaries. Okay. It's not staying within the, the edges and the boundaries that he set for us within Scripture. So we have to approach it by, by trying to attach ourselves more to scriptural symbols and imageries and detach ourselves from our modern political imageries and symbols. Um, why? Because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. So... Back in the, the 80s, people who couldn't resist this temptation thought that this beast coming from the north was Soviet Union. People in the 90s thought it was Iraq. And people in the 2000s could have thought it's the Taliban, and people today could think it's something else. Maybe, maybe Kim Jong-un, who knows, right? But that's ignoring what, for example, the prophet Daniel speaks about, Babylon, and, and how that is portrayed in the book of Revelation, once again, 
But if we if we insist on interpreting revelation on our terms, then this is no longer the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of us, right? It's the revelation of, of, of CNN and such, but not the revelation of Jesus Christ. Another huge difference between our uh, uh, typical approach to literature and narratives and biblical literature is the difference between sequence and recapitulation. And that sounds really complex and nerdy, but it's actually very simple. Um, in modern forms of writing, we operate in sequence. We like our narratives to flow more or less chronologically. Okay, there's a start, middle, finish. Um, but Revelation, they don't function the same way. They don't have the same chronological flow. It's more like the Psalms or Ecclesiastes. You have various portraits talking about certain things, but they're not all in sequence and, and flow, flowing chronologically. Um, for example, in Revelation uh, chapter 11, you're going to find a portrait, a picture of Jesus returning and establishing his kingdom once and for all. Right? He comes and he pronounces the final judgment and he, his kingdom will be forever and ever. That's Revelation chapter 11. And then chapter 20, right? Revelation chapter 20, guess what you find there? Same thing. Uh, this portrait of God, the Son of God returning, pronouncing final judgment and his kingdom reigning forever. So there, right, it can't be that there is one final judgment here and then some years later, there'd be another really final judgment later on. That's not what this is talking about. This is two different portraits of the same event. Two different portraits. Of, that's what recapitulation means. This is not happening in sequence. It's a recapitulation of the same thing. Uh, we see uh, glimpses of this in other parts of the Bible. Uh, for example, if you recall Joseph uh, from Genesis, he has two dreams two visions about one event uh, where he will be exalted to a very high position and his family members will submit to him and become dependent on him, right? It's not like Joseph had one position in, at one point in time and then years later had another position at a different, different country or something like that. It was the same event, two visions. It's a recapitulation. Um, there's a, there's, you're going to read about a lion, in Revelation, uh, who, who is sovereign, who, who is uh, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. You're going to read about a lamb in Revelation, who's pretty much the same thing, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Does that mean there's going to be two Kings of Kings and two Lords of Lords? No. Lion and the lamb are recapitulations of the same entity. It's Christ. Christ is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is both lion and the lamb. So we, we have to understand the the text, the way that first century Jewish Christians in Asia Minor would have understood it, rather than uh, trying to uh, squeeze the text into our modern literary uh, devices. A bottom line here, guys, is that we have to be humble in approaching this book and understand it patiently the way that Jesus would have us understand it, um, because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or else... Uh, or else we're going to be tempted to take take something from, from the book of Revelation, a couple pieces of the puzzle there, and then try to attach it to some other pieces of the puzzle from our modern-day current events and think, there, there it is. I figured it out. I've cracked the code. Right. Um, but that's... Not only is that 
not only is that taking it out of context, it's actually compromising the sufficiency of Scripture because if it's only relevant to our immediate historical context, then we're basically saying that passage had no relevance to all other historical contexts that had no application that we have. Right? We don't want to make that mistake. Scripture is sufficient for all times, for all people. And if something is going to be true, it's going to be true in that sense. True for all people at all times. All right. That's what's meant by revelation of uh, Jesus Christ. Here's the second point, And it's very much related to the first point. That this is a revelation. Okay. What does that mean? The word revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis. Right? And that's where we get the word apocalypse. And, and uh, the word for us has a ton of, like, connotations, right? Uh, it brings to mind, right, doomsday, right, catastrophic end to the world, uh, or Bruce Willis in Armageddon, right? Uh, that's apocalypse. In the Greek, in the original text, it, the word simply means to show, to reveal, or to unveil something. It's just a revealing of something that was hidden. That's apocalypsis. That's its revelation. And that is to say, God is here revealing something and bringing something to clarity. Okay? Something that wasn't as understood to be better understood today. And we have to approach the book of Revelation with that confidence. Okay? There is something clear here God wants me to receive. And so I can approach it confidently, regardless of how it's taken out of context and how many weird things are out there about things in the book of Revelation, that should not hinder us from approaching it with confidence. Why? It's God's revelation. It's God's revelation to the church. There are a ton of weird interpretations of who Jesus is out there in the world. But that doesn't hinder us from trying to interpret Scripture accurately and understand who Jesus truly is, right? In the same sense, we want to be diligent in unearthing what, what is Revelation saying with, with, this, with this trust that this is God's revelation and this is going to speak to me very clearly about how I ought to see God and see myself and live my life. Um, the Bible, right, begins with uh, God creating the heavens and, and the earth through his word, the Son of God, right, Christ. And likewise here, the Bible, you see, ends with God creating the new heavens and the new earth through his Son, Jesus Christ. And what's the purpose in both contexts? It's God revealing to creation what his purpose is for creation. Right? Uh, it's the, from beginning to the end, God is revealing himself and, and making himself known to his creation, and at the same time, asking his creation, come and know me and my purpose for you. That's still true in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so we can approach the book of Revelation confidently, trusting God's going to speak to me and give me something relevant for my life. Um, not that it would give me something like, okay, what's going to happen to our economy? Uh, what's going to happen in the next election? But but relevant to you in, in the way that Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. What does he say there? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why God's given us the word of God, so that we would be taught, reproved or rebuked, corrected and trained in righteousness so that we would be made complete and equipped for every good work. The, Revel- the book of Revelation is the same. It's given to us for the same purpose. It's not given to us so that we would start attaching symbols and images to current events and start freaking out because <laughs> the end is here. But this is also meant for our equipping for every good work, our training in righteousness. Oh, but what about, what about this catastrophic event over here? What about this war over here? What about all of these things? God's, God's answer is still the same. Focus on your training in righteousness. Don't get distracted from your training in righteousness. You're growing into the image of Christ, regardless of what's happening out there in the world. Focus on your character, your heart, your relationship with God so that you will be equipped for every good work as he had intended and as he had planned for you. That's why this is revelation. That's why this matters. Okay, here's the last point. What about this person in this phrase? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, Uh, This book is Christ placing the proper boundaries and edges for us to understand... Some very important truths about the coming new creation, but not ultimately so that we would understand something about the new creation, but the person who's behind that new creation. Um, It's not given to us for more about how to understand our history or our present or our future, for that matter, but to understand better about this person. The person is Jesus. Uh, to better apply 2 Timothy 3.16 then, through the book of Revelation, Jesus will teach you, he will reprove, he will correct, and he will train, and he will equip you for every good work. You're going to encounter the person of Jesus through this book. Hang on to that principle at all times uh, when you go through the book of Revelation. This is about me still relating to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this ultimately comes down to. Jesus, who is the Messiah. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The lion and the lamb. The the winner, the conqueror, the victor. The one who defeats all his and our enemies. The one who will triumph. The bridegroom who gets his bride. Who slays the dragon and gets his bride and brings her home. It's ultimately about him. And you have to hang on to that closely so closely that whenever you encounter, and you're bound to encounter, if you haven't already, people who would point to things in the book of Revelation and tell you things like, you know, this means this is going to happen and you better run. Uh, This means that the market is going to go up or down this way, so you should invest your money this or that way. Or there are only so many days till Jesus returns and everything will be finished and nothing else will matter. You should be confidently telling, responding to those voices, to those people, no, that's not what the book of Revelation is all about. It's about a person. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. Don't get distracted by anything, but especially by 
a book in the Bible from Jesus. Don't get distracted by anything, right? To take your eyes off of Jesus. And 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 if you haven't encountered this already, this this is happening out there already, where people will, in the name of Jesus, distract you from Jesus. Uh, in the name of the church, distract you from your the church's relationship with Christ, and and tell you that no, being a Christian means something else. Being more politically minded. Uh, being more up to what is what is happening in the end times. That's what being a true Christian and seeing with open eyes is all about. No, that's not what it's all about. It's all about Jesus and your relationship with him. To see this book clearly is to see Jesus more clearly. Just hold on to that all through this book. In fact, hold on to that through any book of the Bible. Because he said, all of Scripture testifies concerning me. One of the most practical benefits of, of the book of Revelation also is that this reminder to focus on Jesus comes to the church in a very direct and sometimes confrontational way. Why? Because there is a sense in which right, history is moving somewhere. Time is moving somewhere and it will not be forever and we need to have a sense of urgency in restoring our intimate relationship with Christ if we don't currently have that. Even as we attend church, and even as we worship, if we do not currently have a vibrant, active, living relationship with Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation hopefully will help you awaken to that reality and sober up to the need for you to return to that relationship with Jesus. And Revelation will help you, hopefully, reassess uh, the things that you are currently valuing in your life above him. I hope it will reveal to you the real value of the things that you've been overvaluing above Christ and open your eyes to really truly see the true value of, of Christ whom, whom you have undervalued. And, and it does that as, as Revelation reminds us, things do come to an end. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to give you some nihilistic message about, okay, nothing else matters. <laughs> Drop out of school. <laughs> nothing else matters. Quit your job, you know, because it's the end. No, what I'm actually saying is the opposite. You will start caring about all these things that you do more truly. Truly for what they actually are and not for what they're not. You value them for what they are, not overvalue them for what they're not. You'll continue to work, you'll continue to study, but not as if those things are forever. Uh, not, as those, not as if those things mark your identity forever, because they won't. And then you'll be able to see, okay, these are just means, tools, for glorifying God temporarily here while I'm on earth, or in this old creation. Uh, you can still get married, start a family, but not as if that will last forever either, give you eternal significance. But again, another temporary form of glorifying God and, and multiplying 
multiplying his glory here on the earth, making it more visible. That's why we do what we do. That's why we enter into the relationships we enter into. You, you can still plan on buying a house and selling a house, but know that one day you're going to permanently relocate to the city of God. That is what this book will do to you. It will disrupt your, your current priorities somewhat, but again, not in the nihilistic, I'm giving it all up kind of sense, in the redemptive sense. You redeem them for what they really are, and you, you value them for what they really are, and not overvalue them over Christ. And more than anything, this will restore your hope. Right? Uh, Christianity can be said to be, it's, it's, it's a faith that is it's grounded in the love of God and the grace of God. But it's also grounded in the hope of God. And, and that's what eschatology reminds us of, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The reason why we can overvalue things, anything in life, is because we have p- placed our hope in those things, whether it's a person, possession, title. We, we overvalue them, and we overwork for them, and we get addicted to them because we place our hope in them. I hope this book will help you relocate your hope in, in the person of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. Uh, you, know that, you know that anxious feeling you get? Like, what if this falls apart? Or what if that doesn't work out? What if this doesn't last? Well, what the revelation will kind of remind you of is they will come to an end. They do come to an end. No matter how hard you try to hold them together and control these factors, because they're not meant to be your hope. Your source of hope was always meant to be God. And that, and that means you have something unshakable as you live in the very shakable world where uh, storms will hit, trials will come, and, and not, they, none of them come invited. I mean, no sickness Right, comes to us invited. Uh, no calamity comes invited, at least not most of them. And yet here, Jesus is telling us, in that world of trouble and tribulation, you can have hope in me. Because if you have me and, I ha- and you're abiding in me and I abide in you, right, it will be well. Uh, you will be made new. You will have victory. You will be glorified along with him. This has to be our only hope. Otherwise, our hopes will constantly go through this demolishment and, and disillusionment and bitter appointment in this life. The book of Revelation is about turning our eyes upon Jesus and, and hoping in him more and more to the degree that, that you are gradually finding, as the song says, uh, the, all the things of, the, of, of earth growing strangely dim. Uh, I'll close with this uh, little story I, I've told some of you before. Uh, years ago, uh, I had a pharmacist uh, friend, and uh, I, I asked him about this one particular pharmacy that I would used to visit regularly. Um, and I asked him, hey, what happened to that writing? Because I, I used to go there, but now the sign's taken down. It looks completely demolished, almost completely demolished, and, and not open for business at all. 
looks like it's permanently closed down. What happened? I thought I thought it was a it was a good pharmacy. And my pharmacy friend, pharmacist friend told me, no, they're not closing down, they're renovating. They're remodeling and expanding because they're doing so well. They're just going through a temporary period of, of renovation. And I thought, wow, like appearances really can be can be de- deceiving, right? The appearance of your life and the world around you can be deceiving in the same way. The, the, the temptation for us is to look around and see things falling apart and go, well, there goes my, my wellness. There goes my hope. Uh, there goes my peace. There goes my joy. Right? It's all coming apart. It's, it's all falling apart. What we need is someone who's a bit more knowledgeable in the, in the field, the good physician, the doctor, right? For Jesus to come along and tell us, no, what's actually happening is I'm, I'm creating a new world, a new heavens and a new earth, where there'll be no more crying, no more suffering, no more dying. I'm bringing that world down to earth. Uh, until then, yeah, what you're going to see here, they're not meant to last. Uh, they're meant to be taken down. That's hope. And, and sometimes it, it, it can be so subjective. Um, hopelessness can, can come at you from a thousand different angles. You could fail a test and feel hopeless. You could, uh, you could get a flat tire and feel hopeless. Uh, your child could get sick uh, and, and you can feel hopeless. Uh, hopelessness can come in various forms. But again, that reminds us where our true hope ought to be. Uh, it ought to be in the one who can truly guarantee our everlasting life our life eternal. And I hope as we go through the book of Revelation, it will help you reevaluate where your hope is, uh, where your priority is, what your values are, uh, so that it will, it will make sense in, in, in view of things coming to an end, in view of new heavens and a new earth, I hope you'll be, able to, you'll be able to see that if you have Jesus, you have all that you need. You have all the hope, all the peace, all the promise that you need, even now, even as you live through this very tumultuous, catastrophic, and often feeling like apocalyptic world. Um, If you have Christ, you have all that you need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we we confess, God, that we uh, often get uh, thrown off by our situations and circumstances. And, and our ears can be prone to hear, listen to the voices that uh, seem to reveal your will to us through those situations and circumstances. Uh, when in fact you have reviewed yourself through your son and through your word. Um, would you help us to return to that focus? And, and as we go through this book, Lord, would you help us to regain our footing um, as people of God, standing upon the rock, our Savior, our Messiah, and not on the sand, uh, not on things that are meant to, meant to fade away. And so, Lord, as we focus on your Son and look into his wonderful face, let all the things of earth uh, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.